Chris Cornell could sing, like really sing. In a genre not known for its virtuosity, Soundgarden were a virtuosic band. Complex time signatures and arrangements, ripping guitar solos, a high level of versatility and stylistic differences between songs and albums. And man, Chris Cornell could sing. I try not to be hyperbolic. Well, yes, I do. But there was really no one like him before he came along and not many who have had his kind of range since. Soundgarden were already 10 years into their career when they released their biggest album, Super Unknown, in 1994. They'd made their mark on the Seattle scene, become grunge superstars, and were now about to launch into a worldwide phenomenon. Super Unknown became one of the biggest albums of the decade. It debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. After that, Soundgarden made one more great album, then disbanded. And that that album's called King Animal, right? We'll get there. Okay. Despite years of disagreements and a long breakup slash hiatus, the band endured and made one of the best post-breakup albums in history, King Animal. Which I don't think I've ever listened to. Then, sadly, we lost Chris Cornell in 2017. As an irreplaceable force, we will probably never see another incarnation of the band. Yet the legacy lives on. Black Hole Sun is listened to on car stereos and in elevators everywhere. Thanks, Paul Anka. It has withstood the test of time and remains a staple of alternative radio, and it sprouted from one of the best albums ever made. More hyperbole? Today on Hidden Jukebox, we take a listen to Super Unknown by Soundgarden. All right. Let's do it. First off, yeah. the album is down on the upside. And <laughs> no, I, I know what you meant. I'm going to start by saying something very contentious. Best Soundgarden album. Uh, disagree. Best Soundgarden album is Bad Motor Finger. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, one of the things mentioned in some of the uh, research I did is that Super Unknown was voted by Rolling Stone as the ninth best grunge album ever released. So I, <laughs> I went say in the ninth best Soundgarden album. <laughs> <laughs> there were only six, so yeah. that'd be tough. So I went in to look at what was in front of them. First off, uh, they put Mud Honey Super Fuzz Big Muff at number five, which I thought was interesting. Okay. They put Whole Live Through This as number four. But guess what number two is? Um, uh, Siamese Dream. S- Soundgarden Bad Motor Finger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which... It, I, which I listened to today. It's, it, it's, it's one of the best. And... and Honestly, you and I discussing this episode, we had a really hard time deciding which one of these two albums to do. Right. So my feeling about Down on the Upside is, like, obviously it has some fantastic songs on it. I think it's kind of just all over the place. Like, the fact that they didn't cut Rhinosaur when they were... (laughs) I get it. Right. I I totally get it. And it, it really is all over the place. Yeah. Like, if Super Unknown was letting them all spread their wings down on the upside was like they spread their wings a little too far they they flew a little too close to the sun (laughs) right but for somebody like me who loves when bands mix it up it's a really interesting album sure absolutely so i remember very clearly when this album came out it was like the the spring of my freshman year of college and i was uh like you know just in my first band and i remember because we almost immediately attempted to do a cover of my wave and failed miserably because we didn't know how to play well enough. Um, can we listen to a little bit of that song before we get into this? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
they do they do the thing I totally forgot uh, like uh, it's the oldest trick in the book but I love it every time they do the thing where the guitar intro makes you think the downbeat is in one place and then when and the drums the- come in it's in another place so <laughs> like every Metallica song <laughs> I feel like Metallica's doing it on accident. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> fuck, Lars, you came in, in the wrong spot again. <laughs> but we'll go with it. So this song is mostly in 5-4, and then the chorus is in 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. This is just like the prime example to me of Soundgarden songwriting, where Kim Thale has said the band was never actually trying to be complex on any of their albums. They just wrote whatever came to them. So like the song is very musical, like so musical that even somebody like me when I was studying music just didn't really notice it was in 5-4. Yeah, somebody absolutely. had to point it out to me. And the turnarounds, like where how they get from section to section yeah so good so creative like i don't know how they come up with it Uh, like trying to analyze any soundgarden song is so difficult because it's not like well it's a verse and then there's a nice lead into the chorus there is but i don't know how they came up with it right we'll get when when uh when i pick uh fell on black days we'll get into that in more in more depth okay so you tried to cover this song. Yeah, it didn't go well. Because the music was too complex or because the singing was too difficult or all of the above? All of the above, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I I loved Bad Motor Finger when it came out. I was like 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. And I was like, this album is so cool. I remember seeing the video for Outshined and Chris Cornella has this like, flowing long hair and he's shirtless and just wearing shorts and like <laughs> that's true looks like he's running through a fiery machine and i'm like this band is awesome yeah but the thing that is almost impossible to believe now when you thinking when you think back is like it was not clear before this album came out whether soundgarden was ever going to be a huge band um, you know, they they did Bad Motor Finger did well, but it was not like a platinum selling record by any means. Like it had videos that, uh, you know, would occasionally play on daytime MTV, but mostly on 120 minutes. And like they could have, you know, if, it, if not for this album, they could have been Mud Honey. Right. Like I listen to Bad Motor Finger now and I'm like, oh, I love every song on this mm-hmm. album. But I try to pick out like the hit song and maybe it was rusty cage it's probably rusty cage but, but like it, it wasn't that big it like you you look at how it charted and everything and it, they just hadn't scratched surface i'm sure the johnny cash version of rusty cage has been listened to 10 times as many times as the original probably if you look it up you're not wrong um but the mud honey comparison is exactly right there's a documentary did you see the, the mud honey documentary that came out about four or five years ago it's fantastic and the the documentary is kind of depressing and kind of happy because they're still a band and they're still really beloved in seattle but the whole idea is like they were always the bridesmaid never the bride yeah absolutely like they had so much respect from the community and they they kind of pioneered the seattle sound and yet Everybody passed them by while they kept playing, like, you know, thousand person right. venues, but not like the giant stadiums that Pearl Jam got to. Well, and it's because, you know, it's partly just a matter of luck, but it's also because they were uncompromising. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that can be a good thing. Um, but it also means like they didn't get a pop breakout moment because they didn't have a uh, black hole sun. Well, I, I can agree and disagree with that in that, like, I still listen back to Nirvana and I go, they wrote catchy songs, but to think like to listen back now and think this was the biggest band on the planet at one point, it, it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah, but I think like which which Mud Honey album would you listen to and say like it could have been them? I'm not. This is no. not a diss on Mud Honey. Like you know, it just they were they were just like always kind of playing in a different sandbox. Yeah, uh, and and really stuck to it. Yeah, like, like all of their albums work as Mud Honey, but there was no never like a thing that jumped out or anything. Right. So uh, back to Super Unknown. This album, they went into the studio for the first time ever as like guys with different ideas who wanted to put something together from from these separate ideas they'd always written together up to this point and so you listen to the album and it's got like each of their own personalities on it but like it works as a whole really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great interview with uh, Michael Michael Beinhorn uh, who uh, produced this album, right? Yeah, um, yes. And uh, by by Warren Hewart, who has the uh, produce like a pro YouTube channel. We'll link to it in the show notes. Where um, uh, Beinhardt t- talks about talking to Chris Cornell and him saying like, you know, I've written a couple of songs that I want to bring in, but I don't know if they're really going to work as Soundgarden songs. Like maybe they have to be like Chris Cornell solo album songs. And uh, and Beinhardt listened to the songs, which were Black Hole Sun and Fell on Black Days, and like bring them in and play them with the guys. I think these are going to be Soundgarden songs. Totally. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned something about how uh, you thought that Black Hole Sun might have been named after something from Volunteer Park. Yeah, you know the the, the Black Donut sculpture in Volunteer Park. This is this is like a if you're not in Seattle, you don't know what we're talking about, and that's okay. But there's a sculpture in in Volunteer Park, which is a popular urban park in Seattle that was uh, by uh, Isamu Noguchi, famous sculpture in the '60s, and uh, and it's a black sun. I, I feel like this is classic Chris Cornell when he explains things, but uh, the way that he got the name for that song is he says that he heard a news anchor say something and he heard it wrong. So the news anchor probably didn't say Black, black Hole Sun. He heard blah, 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 Black Hole Sun, blah, blah, blah. And that's how he got the name for the song. Like Kind of like that Seinfeld episode where, where Jerry's falling asleep and uh, and he writes down a joke about like, like Larry David is on the TV <laughs> talking about Flaming Globes of Sigmund. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> uh pretty much the exact same thing yeah okay um so uh you mentioned fell on black days you want to listen to that real quick yeah let's do it
we're not even gonna like get to the full chorus or maybe it's the bridge for like uh you know till after the next verse i mean even on my wave it was like we weren't even close to the actual full chorus yeah, yet it's they like- make me wait for the chorus i love it so much um <laughs> this so i love the the guitar riff there like the the part where it goes ding 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 is like so unexpected it works so well like how it's chugging along there yeah and i'm trying this song is in six four right yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So so it's like the whole thing is a little bit unexpected. And again, it's like written in a way that you don't even notice that it's in an odd time signature until you like take a step back and go, huh. Yeah. So um, this this song made me think about I recently read a review in Pitchfork. They did like they do like a Sunday uh, review of a classic album or something they haven't reviewed before. And they did uh, Dio's Holy Diver. Talk about um, a classic album. Yes, absolutely. Um, and they uh, they said something about the uh, the lyrics of Holy Diver that I thought uh, was was really um, uh, perceptive, which is that Dio wrote lyrics, number one, to sound cool to sing, number two, to have cool imagery and maybe number three to actually have meaning but that's totally optional (laughs) and like that is that is like how you do rock and roll lyrics in my opinion and yet this song does all three of them like i i've been like doing more lyric and vocal line writing recently because like i'm working on a pp with a guy um and uh and so i am like constantly like tweaking like what is the right word or syllable that is going to be fun and sound good to sing here because you can like you can hear like songs that kind of clunk because someone didn't go all the way with that and like get to the point and this this one like the 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 lyrics are so well tuned to be fun to sing despite the fact that it uses the word whosoever who twice whosoever yeah it, it does you can't even say it normally let alone sing it whomsoever Whomsoever? Is it whomsoever? Uh, yes. I didn't even say the Wh- right word. Whomsoever. I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> it's it's like, uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Steve Miller and uh, Pompotence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this song's like Pompotence all over. Um, but but it's also like a really moving song about depression and man and then the part where it comes in with sure don't mind the change it is like getting punched in the face. Yeah, like like this is one of these songs that I would sing along to in the car and I'd be like wow you know maybe I can sing some Soundgarden and then it'd get to that section I'd be like uh not so much yeah nope. I think I think uh it gets I I I like I've sung this song uh like you know for for like uh, voice lessons and I can do all of it except for that part where he goes up to a d5 yeah <laughs> and like nope <laughs> well full transparency here we we've discussed that Matthew likes to take a song from either the song that we're covering or an album from the album that we're covering and send me a clip of him singing it. Now, Matthew and I are, I wouldn't call it a in a battle, but, you know, we'll both give it a shot. And randomly last month, we tried uh, uh, Jesus, Christ, Jesus pose. Christ pose. And uh, I think both of us fell flat on our face. Yeah, it's it's like... Let's let's go ahead and talk about the voice. I don't want like I don't want this to be like the old Chris Cornell show because like the band is really really a band, but you know one of the best singers we've ever had. Yeah, like, um, just just like an unreal talent. And and you you see him live and you're like it's got to be studio tricks, right? 
I, I, before I ever saw them play live and like, you know, even after that, like people will say like, oh, he was like singing really quiet in the studio or, or like, you know, that they were doing pitch correction or something. None of this is true. No, I, I got to see Chris Cornell twice, but not with Soundgarden. I, I saw him with Temple of the Dog on their reunion tour in was probably 2015, 2016. And I saw him uh, solo in probably 2007 or 2008. Soundgarden reformed in 2010, and I was at a point in my life that I was touring with a band, and I had said, I am putting my band before other shows. Yeah. I, ha- I have to commit to this. And when Soundgarden did their first big reunion tour, they played The Gorge, and it was Soundgarden, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Mastodon and Meat Puppets. Wow. This would have been one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was in Bend, Oregon, playing at a festival that nobody showed up to. And there were five people in front of us. And I will never forget standing on the stage, playing to these five people. And the entire time, all that's going through my head is... I could be seeing Soundgarden, Mastodon, Queens of the Stone Age, and Meat Puppets at the Gorge right now, <laughs> yeah. and I'm here instead. Um, there is a guy I, I work with. We, we have like a like a staff retreat coming up at work, and he is trying to decide whether to come to the staff retreat or go to the uh, Run the Jewels and Rage Against the Machine show that was postponed from 2020. And everyone is, at work is like, go to the show. Don't be an idiot. Yeah, don't be an idiot. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Well, I wouldn't want to let anybody down at work. <laughs> no, seriously, let us down. <laughs> well, I also, so when Soundgarden really first got back together, they did a practice slash pickup show at the Showbox under the name New Dragons, which is an anagram of Soundgarden, <laughs> which is fantastic. And I stood outside for three hours trying to get into this thing. I watched Mark Arm walk in. Mm -hmm. I watched Butch Vig walk in. And I've been staying there, and I knew a guy who worked security at that point. And I see him, and I wave at him, and he kind of gives me the head shake no. And finally, I just went home. And like three months later, I'm at a show at the show box, and I run into the security guy, and I'm like, hey, man, just so you know, no hard feelings. Totally understand that you couldn't get me in. He's like... I hate to tell you this, dude. At some point after the first couple songs, they said to let everybody else in. I came out to look for you and you were gone. (laughs) Like, you should never have told me that. Yeah, never. uh, Definitely not. (laughs) Um, I saw Soundgarden once. It was at Lollapalooza 92, uh, which is the best lineup of any show that I've ever been to. It, It might be the best lineup of any show, period. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if I can still remember it off the top of my head. So, um... All right, so so it was Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Ice Cube, um, Ministry. Yep. Lush. Yep. Um, There's at least one other. Uh, was Jane's Addiction out there? Jane's Addiction did not was not doing it, or at least not at not at the uh, Bremerton. Jesus show. and Mary Chain. Jesus and Mary Chain. What 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 a lineup. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> I mean, that that would have been plausible. <laughs> that I mean, I was a little too young, and I remember that you used to wear that shirt all the time, and yes. I'd always go, "Oh my god!" If I had just been a couple years older, that what uh, amazing. And well, oh yeah, so so they played a bunch of stuff from Bad Motorfinger, but the the song that I really remember was the song "Big Dumb Sex." 
which because you were what like 17 at the time and yeah. you're like this song is called big dumb sex it's amazing well i mean like not not just the time but it's the, it's the one where the chorus is uh you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna fuck 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 you yeah. right <laughs> everything about it you're like it's like yes yeah, this oh. is rock this reminds me, I've got to do a little side note here. Yeah. Our, our last episode, Closer, um, your intro that you did, did I tell you about my friend's reaction to it? No. Oh, well, you know George. George, yeah. friend of the show who was on our Oasis episode a couple of years back, um, sends me a text after he played the first 48 seconds of that episode <laughs> in the car with his wife and two kids in the back. And it's a, it's a screenshot of 48 seconds in and, he, and the text says, this is exactly how far I made it through this episode of hidden jukebox before the wife made me turn it off. <laughs> Amazing. That's, that's where we said uh, that uh, the song was, was constructed of pure fuck beats. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. She's like, Nope. Nope, we're done with this. <laughs> it's not. It's, we don't make a show for kids. Kid, kids, listen to this show. Kids, it's cool. It'll make you show. cool. Uh, all right, let's listen to another song. Let's do it. What's what's your pick? I, I'm looking at this the list of songs on this album, <laughs> the track list we call it, and like I can't believe how much stuff we didn't pick. I it was so difficult for me to pick songs off this album because it's like I like everything so much. The title, the the intro riff on the title track might be my favorite Soundgarden riff. It is, and I didn't even pick it. it it's awesome. I I skipped over it because we'll get to my third pick eventually, which is extremely unique. But let's listen to the day I tried to live. Go ahead and say what you want to say about the song, because I feel like I just learned 10 things about it just for listening to it for a minute and a okay. half. So it could be interpreted as 15, 4, <laughs> sure. a bar of 7, and two bars of 4. It's, once again, them playing with time, and it's barely even noticeable. The other thing that gets me is knowing that they came into the studio with each of them bringing their own ideas and trying to put together an album it's almost like the intro to this song doesn't go with the rest of the song. Sure. And so it's like they took a Kim Thale idea and stuck it with a Ben Shepard idea and made it work. And I love the jarring like entry of the bass yes. where, where you're like expecting it to continue with this guitar riff. And instead, the song just takes a left turn immediately. Yeah, so the thing that I noticed is, I can't remember who said this, but it was probably some shit I was watching on YouTube, but someone was talking about John Bonham and how John Bonham's drumming was like melodic and guitar-influenced, and that's part of what made it special. And I think that is true of Matt Cameron also. Like, if you if you listen to how he's drumming on this track, like, he's he's kind of, like, letting letting the guitar take the lead or the bass take the lead and kind of, like, moving along with that and playing kind of the same rhythms. Well, this, it's like you said, it's, this should not be the Chris Cornell show. Right. Because this, this band 
was lousy with talent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, like where <sighs> grunge was kind of known as like this DIY slash you didn't need to really know your instrument that well type of genre where it was like anyone can do this. But Soundgarden, <laughs> right. not anyone could do this. Like like your college band could not do this. Exactly. Uh, and so Chris Cornell was amazing. But like Matt Cameron still to this day is one of the best drummers on the planet. He can just do things that other people can't do. And he is extremely melodic. He plays to the song, but then he'll also do things that just make your jaw drop. Yeah, like I I feel like I I've like as a as an old man like gotten more uh like uh respect and understanding for like how important good drumming is. Not that I never never thought good drumming was important, but like it is so easy nowadays to add like pretty good canned drums to any song that you're working on and kind of get away with it. And like the difference between pretty good canned drums and a real good drummer is so subtle and also like the entire world of difference. Right. Um, and so much easier to write songs to like can drums nowadays. Yeah. And they didn't have that option back then. Right. Like, like they did, but most people wouldn't like bring in programmed drums. They'd go to, to a click track. The other thing I want to say about this song, and, and we're kind of having debate on this, it's either two and a half or three octaves that Chris <laughs> Cornell is singing in this. Okay. It, it is... It is a large, large range. Like he's singing almost at the bottom of his range and then almost at the top of his range. Right. So so I Jake said he thinks it's three octaves. I think it's not. And and the reason is that I, I know that the the highest note in this song is uh, C sharp. And to to go three octaves down from that, you're like off the bottom end of the guitar and he's not singing that. That that's fair. But it's still a lot. But, but it's still a lot. It's it's still not like somebody's gonna listen and go. Oh, yeah, I guess it's not that impressive now. Yeah, no, but he, like, you know, we, we talked about this before, like, when we when we did our Pulp episode, like, there aren't a lot of singers who sing really well high and really well low, and Chris Cornell could do that. Yes. Him and Mariah Carey. He and Mariah that, Carey, yeah. That, that's it. Um, I did want to mention, when, when you mentioned drums, it reminded me, when, when I first moved to Seattle and was going to the University of Washington... Uh, artist the spoon man we're not going to discuss the song spoon man even though it's also great and also in an odd time signature yeah. artists used to play with this guy jim page every day on uw campus sure. in the quad and i i was so starstruck like I, <laughs> I i didn't know what to say to artists and he is like the most approachable guy in seattle he's like known as a sweetheart did he pass away maybe I know I think, that he was sick for a while, but I don't know if if he passed away. But he was such a sweetheart. But I no, was I was always just like he's still with us. Like you're you're the you're the guy from the Soundgarden song. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's like uh, like the time you met the uh, the hype man from the Mighty Mighty, Mighty, Mighty Boston, like, or the uh, the the old guy from uh, wait was it Diggable Planets? I I was uh, I think you're thinking of. Uh, it's not Diggable Planet. It's, it's uh, Arrested, uh, Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I was going to go with the diaper guy from uh, <laughs> Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> nice. Well, what's your, what's yeah, your next so much, song? So much to do a super group of like all, all, all the guys who are, who are kind of in the and, band. And I'll be so intimidated that I like won't even be able to be in the same room <laughs> as all of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, my next song is Limo Rack. 
I was laughing during the intro because the uh, the little uh, harmonic riff doo, 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 yeah. is really funny, but also really perfect. It's so good. Like, like just coming up with ideas like that. Again, this is, it's kind of straight ahead, but it's five bars of three. Yeah. It's weird again. It's it's weird. I think this song was written was not written by Chris Cornell. I think this was written by by maybe uh, Kim Thiel and uh, Ben Shepard. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I think Kim Thiel is kind of like Joey Santiago, in the sense from the Pixies. Yes. Uh, in the sense that not that they play in similar styles at all, but that they play they are play very weird. But like play to the song like, you know, they they play like really creatively, but in service of the song and they play kind of sparsely. Yeah. Like um, like Chris, Chris Cornell is a very good rhythm guitarist. And so uh, Kim Thile doesn't need to do that. And and yet he's not like doing a bunch of flashy stuff. No, not at all. He's he's like adding textures to things a lot of the time. Right. Like, like even probably the biggest guitar solo on this album is Black Hole Sun. Yeah. And it's like it's not flashy. You don't hear it and go, well, that was insane. Like it's it's kind of reserved. Yeah. Um, the, we're, we're going to get to, my next song also has a great guitar solo, which, which we'll get to, but like, I love how, how sludgy, like I love a sludgy riff. Um, and, uh, there are some really good ones on this record. Limo Rex starts with a, with a sludgy riff, I would say. Yeah. Um, and the other, my other favorite thing about this song, maybe we'll drop it in is, uh, in the in the pre-chorus uh when when he says the rest of the slide yeah it's so good amazing um so i think that he wrote it i think that cornell wrote it like wrote limo rack yeah but okay that that's the thing about this album is they all brought in parts so it's like you don't always find that the songs on this are credited specific people except for the next song that i have and the which is written by Ben Shepard and the other song written by Ben Shepard on on the album. Okay, I have I have news. Limo Rec, Cameron Thile. Really? Yep. Um, lyri- lyrics by Cornell. Okay, I was yeah, gu- I was right. gonna say like I'm looking at this this like info sheet where he's talking about how he came up with the lyrics. Right, for right, right. Yeah. Whereas the lyrics for my next song, Head Down, are written by Ben Shepard. He wrote most of the song himself. All right. Should we play it? Yeah. forgot that i can pause the song i was enjoying it too much yeah this is one of my favorites too (laughs) it's so weird yeah it is like nothing else just not this album like nothing else that soundgarden had ever done it's kind of got this almost like eastern indian influence to it he's 
I don't know what Chris Cornell is doing with his voice through most of it or why, but it really works with the song. Yeah. Like I just remember the first time I heard this album and this song just jumped out at me, but it's not heavy and it's not riffy. It's just really different and interesting. Now, is Ben Shepard singing lead on some of this? I, uh, From what I understand, Ben Shepard is singing the very few lyrics that are in Half, which is the other song that he wrote for this album, okay. but that Chris Cornell is singing right. on this, I think. that I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was both of them. There's clearly two, at least two vocal tracks going yeah. like, throughout this song. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, but it's, it's great. I can't even figure out what the time signature on this song is. Like, there's if you try and listen to it, it feels like 4-4, but then when you start going through the riff, it's like it's divided up into these little pieces. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, one thing that stuck out at me when I when I was listening to it just now is, like, the, I mean, the, the production on this album is fantastic, and the guitar tones are fantastic. And at the at the end of the line where it's, it's on your face, the, the guitar that underlies that almost sounds like a bass note on a piano. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just like, brown. It, it's it's the last chord of a day in the life by the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but like not not in like a flashy way, like just like, you know, this we need something like to prop up the uh the end of this line and like we're going to build a beautiful shelf for it out of guitars. Yeah, well, what I mean, would you say that this song has a chorus? Uh, not really. Not really. It's like it's singable, but it's not singable. Like it's just one of the most unique songs that they ever wrote. Yeah. Maybe it belonged on down on the upside since it's just weird, but I love it. And like, it sits right in the center of the album. Yeah. No. Whereas like, you know, this is like, because this is the Ben Shepard composition, like this strikes me as like, this is the, this is the George Harrison song that you love. This is like, you know, the, uh, uh, here comes the sun. Is that George Harrison? <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and uh, and then and then half is like the one you skip, like within you, without you. <laughs> I was just watching on YouTube this week a uh, a Soundgarden performance from 1994 in Paris, and they play half live. Okay, and it's awesome. Oh, it's I'm sure it would. Nothing be. Yeah. like what what it is on the on the album. Like it's really heavy. Uh, both Kim Thiel and Chris Cornell are playing lead on it, and it, and so they're doing these like dueling guitar lines. Yeah, it's really really killer. Okay, I'm gonna watch this. Maybe could we link to it? Please yeah. send me the one you watched. Yep. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's listen to another song. This is Fourth of July. Okay, 
this you you asked uh, on the agenda like is this really a grunge album or is it yes. more of a hard rock album? And I think this song is what proves that it's still a grunge album because like what says grunge to me is like you know it's uh, it's like punk rock with a heavy Sabbath influence and like you know things are the guitar is tuned down. I'm gonna ask you as the bass player what the fuck is the bass doing on this song? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like the the first thing that I think of, which sounds like an insult to Ben Shepard, and I don't mean it to, is Fieldy from Corn. Sure, because Fieldy yeah, yeah. would tune his strings down. That's what it sounds so like. So low that it's like they weren't actually making a tonality; they were just making a noise. Yeah. But uh, and then like the use of the use of string bends, so like everything feels like just a little bit dissonant in a very satisfying, disturbing kind of way. Right. It it and I love how like we talked about Matt Cameron's presence presence in this band, and then this song is like no Matt Cameron at all. Right. And and it's like that had to be a purposeful decision in in the studio. It's not just like. All right, Matt screwed it up. Let's let's pull him out. We're we're not using him on this track. It, it's like somebody said, you know, this would be kind of cool just taking the drums out of it entirely, and it's it makes it like darker and almost scary. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this this has one of my favorite lines from the record. I know we don't usually go deep into lyrics, but when he says, "Down in the hole, Jesus tries to crack a smile beneath another shovel load." <laughs> Like I feel like I feel like Allison Chains listened to that and they're like, damn it, why didn't we come up with that? I forgot to mention that my favorite lyric is for my wave and it's don't come over here, piss on my gate. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> like that's a uh, that's Chris Cornell kind of being a nimby. Yeah. Um I <laughs> I also like how, like, I think the song's My Wave, be- called My Wave, because the idea is, like, you know, I'm, I'm out here surfing, like, get off get off my wave, but also there's a gate involved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's for his yard surfing. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, classic yard surfing. Uh, All right, so this is this is a real love fest. Yeah. Like, well, this is embarrassing. No, I, I mean, I, I have very little criticism when it comes to Soundgarden. They were very concise in their catalog. Like, yeah. They, and they would just speak to me in terms of how heavy they were. I don't like how much of a pompous ass Chris Cornell was, but unfortunately, clearly, he was dealing with some demons that yeah. most people didn't know about. So, uh, rest in peace to him. And, um,. Matthew, what are you listening to right now? Okay, I got I got a couple things that I'm really enjoying. Okay, first off, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I saw a band from West Seattle called Them, uh, who are a band of very young people, um, and uh, they have their first EP just came out. It's called The Car EP. I love it. I want them to be the biggest band in the world, but I also want them to be able to handle the, their uh, sudden, enormous fame. Um, so go listen to that. Matthew, I have good news. Yeah. I saw them last week. Oh, did you, did you see them at the block party? I cer- at the West Seattle Summerfest. Oh, the West Seattle Summerfest. I certainly did. What'd you think? They were fantastic. Aren't they wonderful? Like it, it's like charming and sweet, and and you're sitting there going, oh, they're just like lovely young girls, and so cute. They're writing music, and then you start listening to it, and you're like. Except that this is also really, really good. And yeah, their writing- songwriting just like be way, way beyond their years. Yeah, it, it it was it was impressive. They didn't have a very big crowd, but I think that's going to change very I soon. I think so. I hope so. Listen, listen to them. 
Uh, and then the other thing I listen to is uh, a uh, reggae album, uh, which uh, is what? not not my usual pick, right? No. Um, by Holly Cook, and it's uh, like. I don't really know about enough about like reggae and reggae inspired music to really talk about it with any sort of authority. It's just uh, like really uh, easygoing, like, you know, you could put this on at any party and anyone would be happy. But the songwriting is really sharp and uh, she has a beautiful voice. Uh, the the title song contains the lyric uh, swimming is cool, but there are sharks in the pool. It's very good. <laughs> it's great. Um, I. Cannot recommend enough the the new Goose album Drip Field. It's really good. They I really a jam like it band, too. But they are really trying to focus on the fact that they're they want to also be in the indie rock genre, and it is an indie album through and through. It is really fantastic to the point that there is another band g- gaining popularity right now called Geese, and <laughs> shockingly, in the strange turn of events. Pitchfork gave Dripfield by Goose <laughs> a higher rating than Geese's new album. Okay. So, highly recommended. I cannot recommend the new Mars Volta songs that were released the last couple weeks, unfortunately. It's like they decided they're an electronica act. I listen, I've listened to these also. Like, I don't understand what I'm listening to, but also I kind of liked it. It's not bad, but when I really wa- am like, yes, new Mars Volta, I'm like... Eh, but this isn't really the Mars Volta. I guess they get to be whatever they want, but not my cup of tea yet, but we'll see what happens. And I also want to throw in, have you listened to Parquet Courts? Yeah, a little bit. They're great. Okay, yeah, I need to, like, that's one that I kind of, like, put on my, you know, saved albums list and forgot to go back to. Yes, go back to it. They, okay. they are really fantastic. And a friend of mine was telling me that they accidentally caught them at a music festival this summer and that it was the best surprise all year for them, like, that they put on an incredible live show. That's great. Do you, do you know that we uh, we have, like, a uh, dangerous level of, like, classic indie happening this fall uh, in the sense that the Pixies, Built to Spill, and Sloan all have new albums. Sounds I think, I think there's one other also. <laughs> da- dangerous in the sense that, like, if you let me talk about this too much, no one will listen to our show anymore, and, and they're right. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, you can uh, find us at hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden, uh, on all of your favorite streaming platforms, and uh, until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton.